So let me offer the benediction. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, thank you, Samantha. Um, that's good. Matter of fact, if that didn't move you at all, Cindy and I were looking at each other crying. If that didn't move you at all, check your pulse. Right? So, okay. We're in, uh, yeah, she told us, book of Revelation. I want to look at verses 4 through 8 this morning. Titled this message, The Signature of God. I'm going to ask when you find the text, if you'll stand in honor of our great and awesome God. Reading chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. And from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us. From our sins by his blood. And has made us to be a kingdom. And priests to serve his God and father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Look he's coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. May we pray. All right, God, I can't hardly see from my tears, but uh, I come before you because you are such an awesome God. And Lord, I also realize that my feeble efforts at speaking um, aren't much if the Spirit of God does not anoint and infuse his presence and so god i i just start there lord we have had an opportunity to worship you thus far and i pray i don't get in the way of that continuing holy spirit continue to lift your word and the one who is the word jesus christ before us and may we just father meet you today in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Um, several years ago, there was a pastor who traveled throughout the United States and Australia, and he spoke frequently on the end times from the book of Revelation, focusing on the judgments of God, the bowl judgments. That are described in the book of Revelation. He would combine scientific threats like cracks in the earth's magnetic field. The threat of tsunamis and sunspot radiation. And even the collapse of the world trade centers. And then as he uh, spoke he would move into his message. He ended up writing a book from that. And I'll read you an excerpt. From his book, he writes, God's two witnesses, his two prophets, are established to witness to the whole world about the greatest phase yet of his plan and purpose for mankind. It is now with boldness, confidence, and great clarity that I give to you what God has given me. I am to announce through God's direct revelation 
that I am one of the two witnesses in Revelation. I know the timing of the events as the seals of Revelation are opening. I know the sixth seal has already opened. I know the exact day the first seal was opened. Over the past 6,000 years, only 144,000 people have been molded, fashioned, and trained by God so that they could rule with Jesus Christ in His kingdom. This pastor's name is Ronald Wineland. And Ronald, in his declaration, in his book literally wrote, the book of Revelation is the recordings of John, but God has given to me the authority to bring to you the revelation from John. The only problem with that, that is not what the Bible says. As we look at the book of Revelation, look how it starts out in chapter 1. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is the opening, the uncovering of the truth of Jesus Christ. And what he will accomplish and what he will bring forth. Wineland's followers gave away many of their possessions. And they followed him wholeheartedly as they believed in his claims that he was literally one of these two witnesses. Back in 1988, there was a book written, 88 Reasons. And it was 88 Reasons for the Rapture in 1988. Well, obviously that didn't work out so good in 1988. And then I remember at the turn of the century, we had the Y2K. I don't know if you remember that or not. We were terrified that the year 2000, the computers would go haywire, but that it was a sign of the end times that our Lord would come back. We had uh, some good friends, Mennonites, and they were stocking their basement with all kinds of food. So at least I knew, man, if I came up on hard times and Jesus didn't come back, I knew where to get something to eat. Uh, But as we know, that time also came and passed. The point is, we need to be careful not to avoid extremes. You see, the Lord Jesus tells us, don't predict the exact dates of my return, but to watch and to pray. And we need to do that. But on the other extreme, there are believers who seem to not take seriously the prophetic truth that we are coming toward a one world government. That there is going to be this bringing together of everything under one world ruler. And so let us not fall under that extreme either where we just kind of say, eh, that's just crazy. The Bible warns us that... That is what awaits us. Matter of fact, there is an explosion of those who are desperately trying to know what the future holds. Matter of fact, in New York City alone, there's one million phone calls a week to astrologers to try to find out through horoscopes and and the uh, stars what the future holds. Of course, there are also many fortune tellers and psychics. There's hotlines on TV you can call to try to get answers. One writer, I, I, I love this. He said he met a psychic, and this psychic was desperately trying to get him to give him some money to forecast his future. And he said, you mean to tell me that you can tell me what I'm going to be doing this time tomorrow? She said, absolutely. If you pay me $50, I'll tell you exactly what will happen 
this time tomorrow. He said, I tell you what, I'll pay you $100 if you can tell me what I was doing at this time yesterday. She smiled and she walked away. Until the development of medicine in the Middle Ages, there was a belief that a person who had a curvature of the spine and walked with that bend in his back, he typically had a a hump, and the term out of that came to be humpback or hunchback. And it was believed that that person was cursed by the devil and had this ability to be able to forecast and prophesy the future. And, and, And of course, that changed as medicine entered into history. But there's still that tradition that has remained, this idea of I've got a hunch, just a hunch that this might occur. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it is His words. Man, it is not my words. It is no other man or woman's words. It is the word of Jesus Christ. What we need to know is not the opinion of a preacher, but what we need to know is what Jesus Christ has revealed to us. Matter of fact, I love um, Psalms one nineteen one thirty. It says, "The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple." Well, none of us are quite as smart as we think we are. We want others to believe we are, and we need understanding. So we need to have His word unfolded before us, so that we can have His truth. It's not just a hunch. He wants to reveal to us His truth. He wants to unfold it before us. And that's what we want to do. And I want to focus this morning. Uh, it's very interesting. It, you know, we want to get, well, all this political realm. We hear a lot about endorsements. Who's got the endorsement of this powerful person? And we have those who will sign an agreement and say, I'm behind you and what you believe by this signing. I prove it. And what we have here in this text is the very signature of God. And that's what I look at this morning. The book of Revelation has the endorsement of God Himself. And, and so let's take some time and unfold that and unravel that. Um, as I read that very first five words, it is the revelation Of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 8. We read. I am the Alpha and Omega. Says the Lord God. Who is. And who was. And who is. To come. Then back to verse 4. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne. Well, the first I want to look at the signature of God the Father. He is described here in this text of the Hebrew as Yahweh. Notice in in verse 4 and in verse 8 that he is... The one who is and who was and who is to come. He is not confined by time. He is not confined 
by history. He is the God who has always been, who will always be, and He is the God who is now in control. And so is His signature. But that signature is also equal with His Son, Jesus. So we'll look at that in a little more detail later. But turn me to John chapter 8. As this is revealed before those who witnessed the ministry of Jesus Christ. In John eight fifty eight, our Lord Jesus shares. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. They knew exactly what he was saying. He was not saying, as Islam believes, that Jesus was just a prophet of God, just a messenger or spokesman for God, or not as the Mormons believe, that God the Father actually in in some way had a sexual encounter with Mary and produced offspring, Jesus Christ. No, he was saying that I and God, we are the same. We are one. I am the one who... Was I am the one who is, and I am the one who is to come. And, and that's why in the next verse, John 8, 59, we see their response of unbelief. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple guards. The signature of God the Father back in Revelation 1, 8, It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. We go to Revelation chapter 22, that last chapter. And in verse 13, we read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. And this is Jesus himself speaking. Jesus, the one who is to come. Jesus who said interchangeably, I am the Father. We are one. We are God. There's also the mention in our text here in Revelation that He is the Almighty. The Hebrew counterpart, Shaddai, El Shaddai, gives us the picture that He is able to keep all of His divine promises with His Great might. In Genesis 17.1, we see this first in his promise to Abraham. As he makes this promise as El Shaddai, that he will be a, a, the father of a great and mighty people, as God would determine to make his promises. And the promises here of Jesus Christ, God the Son, is that he will keep his promises. We can trust Jesus fully. Now, let's look at the signature of the Holy Spirit. Here in Revelation chapter 1. I removed my marker. Now I've got to find it again. Let's see. These pages are thin, dude. All right. In verse 4, it says, To the seven churches in the province of Asia. Then to verse 8, where we. Where am I here? Verse. 
I am in verse 4. Sorry, guys, I lost myself. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from who is and who is and from come, the seven spirits before his throne. That's what... Speaking of the seven spirits, this is a picture of the number seven of the completeness and the fullness of God. And so what he was trying to say, this is not just any spirit. This is the fullness and the completeness, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. It's that perfect symbol of his spirit. And turn me to the book of Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2. It is a prophecy that comes from Isaiah 11 verse 2 that shows that completeness of the great Spirit of God. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of power, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. It is this fullness of the Spirit of God. Then there is the signature of God the Son Himself. Back in Revelation chapter 1, in our text, there is that great description of Jesus. First in chapter, I mean in chapter 1 verse 5 of our text, it says, From Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. This has to do with his responsibility. He was the perfect, faithful witness of God. Of God the Father. And in John 1.18, he is described as the one who came into the world to explain the person and the plan of God the Father. In John 18, verse 37, he says, I came in the world to testify to the truth. And of course, the verse we Christians so often quote, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He made this great declaration that he is the way. Secondly, in here, Christ is also called from our text in verse 5, the firstborn from the dead. Now, this description of firstborn of the dead doesn't mean he was the first who was born a little baby of many others who would come as baby boys and baby girls that would be born and die and be resurrected. No, firstborn here talks about the fact that he is the one of preeminence. He is the one who is all-powerful, who conquered death through resurrection. He is God who created all and who sustains all and who has all power. This is Jesus Christ. And it is His resurrection. Thirdly, Christ is called the ruler of the kings of the earth. Look at what it says, verse 5. And the ruler, simply says the ruler of kings of the earth. It speaks about His reign. His perfect reign. Just some verses that describe that reign. Uh, if you want to write these down, I, I fly and I get going and can't keep up Psalm 24, verse 7, he is called the king of glory. I love to sing that too. Man, he's the king of all glory. Uh, Daniel 4, 37, he's the king of heaven. Who's up in charge up there? He is. <laughs> he is the king of the Jews, Matthew 2, verse 2. In John 1, verse 49, he is the king of Israel. In 1 Timothy 1.17, He is the King of the Ages. In, or, or King of Israel, I'm sorry, it's Revelation 15.3, He's King of the Ages. Revelation 19.16, He is the King of Kings. 
I'm not just talking about a hunch here. This is a signature of God. This is an endorsement of God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. That this is the truth of God as we open up this book and as we look at it. And guys, he moves from there. And what does he do? He breaks out in a praise song. John is... He is seeing the glory of God. He is seeing the unfolding of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And man, he just starts singing. Now, I think that's pretty good. His heart is so full, it just has to come out in praise. You see, he's been exiled on the Isle of Patmos. Why is he exiled? Because he boldly said to the emperor, You think you're God? You think you have complete authority and you're in complete control? But nah, you just have a temporary lease. The king of kings will return. He'll take his rightful throne. And he will be the supreme ruler as king of kings. And then he breaks out in that song of praise. Let's just glance at that here. Chapter 1, verse 5. He says, to him who loves us. Now this is not past tense. He doesn't say to him who loved us. And not even... Future tense, the one who will love us, he's the one who loves us. Now, God, just let that soak in a little bit. Just get you a little holy hug. Think about this. God is not against you. He loves you. Ray Steadman, in his commentary, tells the story. He was traveling with Harry Ironside, who um, for years was the pastor of Moody Bible Church. They were traveling in northern Virginia, they met another pastor, and he shared his testimony of being saved at Cambridge University in England. D.L. Moody, an evangelist of that era, was invited to speak. And uh, he said that uh, many of the students were jeering the fact that Moody would come and speak at such a prestigious university because he murdered the king's English. I understand some of that. Sometimes I get my grammar wrong. My wife tries to help me, but I'm a hard head. But anyway, so he and his friends, these three guys, they sat on the front row, and they were ready to jeer and taunt D.L. Moody as he prepared to bring a message. Ira Sankey, who traveled with Moody, he sang a a beautiful song that quieted the auditorium. And then Moody, without any kind of introduction, he walks up to the pulpit And he immediately speaks and he points to those three guys on the front row. And he says, gentlemen, don't ever think God don't love you for he do. Probably the worst grammatical error spoken at Cambridge University. But it was with power. And as Moody continued his message, sprinkled throughout that message, he would stop and and he would say, don't ever think God don't love you, for He do. Don't ever think God don't love you, for He do. Don't ever think God don't love you, for He do. And he said something happened in his heart, and he realized, He does! He loves me. It's not, He might love me, or one day He'll love me. He loves me. The second part of the praise, Jesus released us. <laughs> Look at this, He says... Uh, And has freed us from our sins by His blood. And it doesn't get any better than this. You know why? Because you're a rascal just like me. And you need to be forgiven as I do. 
And he sings. He breaks out in song. He says, I'm forgiven. I've been released from the penalty of my sin. Made me think of this hymn. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. He released us. Let's look at the third part of this praise song. He's assigned us. Look at verse 6. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. He's made us royalty. We're on his team. We're on his side. We got work to do. Man, what a blessing. 1 Peter 2, 9, it it says that uh, we are priests. We are priests that He has chosen. What did a a priest's job was to bring people close to God. What's our job? God wants to come close to you. Let me tell you how He does it. It's through Jesus. The gospel. As priests, we have that job. Pre-sacrifice. What are we to sacrifice? Ourselves. Romans 12.1 Therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. How do we worship? What's our sacrifice? It's me. That's the sacrifice. You see in the Old Testament the priests, their sacrifice of animals they had to be killed, and, and it was a bloody, difficult sacrifice. But in many ways, it's easier to offer a dead sacrifice than to offer humbly myself as a living sacrifice. As the old saying goes, the problem with living sacrifices, it's always trying to crawl off the altar, and don't we? Hebrews thirteen fifteen, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that confess his name through Jesus. We offer that praise and we don't forget who our Savior is. We don't forget who our Master is. We don't forget who holds the keys of life and death, who is the Alpha and the Omega. It is Jesus. It is no argument. It is no debate. He is the one. He is, he is the one to which we go for our As I close, uh, verse 7 talks about his return. His second coming. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see. Man. I mean, I'm going to see him one way or the other. Whether I die and go, I have to admit it would be pretty cool. I don't know exactly how that will work. All I know is he says, my eyes will catch a glimpse of it if that's how he chooses to do it. Man, that gives me those holy goosebumps. Kind of makes you shake all over to think about it. <laughs> Even those who pierced him. 
I mean, we think about those those Jews who denied him and ultimately he hung upon that cross. But the truth of the matter is, in one way or another, every person is the reason Jesus went to the cross. In, in that very real sense, we all nailed him to that tree. In that very real sense, he was a sacrifice, not just for those who took him to the cross, but for all of us who desperately must have the cross. <laughs> And the work of the cross. One rabbi told a pastor, what you Christians believe is that when the Messiah comes, we're going to say, welcome. <laughs> and you all are going to say, welcome back. I like that. You see, in that tribulation, there will be Jews who will have been open to the truth of Jesus Christ. <laughs> And they will be able to say, not welcome, but welcome back. Because they will have confessed with their mouth and bowed with their knee that he truly is the one. I close with a story by John Phillips, a British Bible teacher. In his commentary on Revelation, he wrote about English history and Richard the Lionhearted, who ended up estranged from his kingdom and his evil brother John ruled the throne there were many obstacles for him to return and the people were discouraged it reminds me of uh, Proverbs 29 2 verse 2 that says when the wicked rule the people groan (laughs) but when the righteous rule the people thrive and and they were groaning because of the, the heavy rule of John But Richard made his way back through all the obstacles. And as he began to walk down that road to come to his rightful place to rule, the people spotted Richard. And they began to cheer because they knew that the lion-hearted had returned. The proper king. The one who cared truly about his kingdom and the subjects of that kingdom. You know, many legends have come out of that, including the legend of Robin Hood. Anyway, Phillips goes on and he writes these words. One day, a king greater than Richard will lay claim to a realm greater than England. Those who have abused the earth in his absence, seized his domains, and mismanaged his world will all be swept aside. This is not just a hunch. This has been signed by God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son It is the very truth of God. (laughs) One church that we served years ago, every time they took up the offering, we would sing the doxology. And I always thought, nowhere else that we've been, um, that's been a tradition. But I can still remember that. As we took up the offering, we would sing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Yeah, join me if you know it. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Here we are, Father, and you're here.
You know us. We come broken, but we know you are the God who heals. We come weak, but you are the Almighty. We come in need, and you supply every need through your glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Father, as we have a time we call response, invitation, whatever the words are, Lord, we just want you to speak. And I just ask you to help us listen, and may we respond to your call. Whatever that may be, Lord. Maybe it's to come to this altar and to pray and to bear our hearts. Maybe it's to make a decision right where we stand. To follow you and say yes to you. Maybe it's to receive the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ for the first time. We've been trying to do it all without you. And it's time to trust Jesus and find that forgiveness. Maybe it's to be baptized for the first time. I mean, we trust you, and and then we're called to follow you in baptism because it's a picture of going under the water, and we're dead in sins, coming out of the water, we're new in Christ. And I just pray, Father, if that's the case, uh, say yes to you, be baptized and follow you. Or or maybe just to come apart and unite with uh, Kingsway, Father, which is the body of Christ, one little part of the body. Father, we just need to follow you. You know, so help us see to follow. Father, as we stand and as we sing, may we say yes to what you want. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.